Doink. Darling. Yet, 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 Patrick Witters from Hall, oh, from Luxembourg. Now go away, go John Millenfish, Mike Freeburn, well back, kiddo. How's your chilies? All tunes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Are we on? Are we on? We're rocking. Good evening, and welcome to yet another Fish on Friday. Another one, and another one, and another one. Darling. <clears throat> just need to get rid of something first. And a very happy ending and moment to you all. Hmm. Are we all going here? Very slow in their comments today. Seems to have sold. Ah. So it's all coming up there on a camera. And I ain't coming up here. So why is this happening? I, knew, I was I was doing really well. I was all set up for doing everything. And um, I had it all kind of briefed and I've got the track out, which is, as we know, as soon as I put it up, gentlemen's excuse me. You know? So that is the one tonight. And it's good because I've got a few kind of, quite a few related stories to all that on the go. It's all right. Garden Wildlife Direct. This is what happens when you put these big fingers anywhere near a touchscreen. Look at that. Look at the shape they're in now. That's the one. Is that the one? Yeah, that's pretty bad. It's my dragon finger. That's the one. That's the other one. That's that. That's as straight as that hand goes, where the old, the old Jupiterans. And that, that's the one that always catches the capitals, but it's not caps lock. When you're taping away, you, 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 so when you're taping away and you can see, I don't look at this, that finger there, and it's sometimes really hard to type. Does that, do you find that scary? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so with, with the, the Jupiterans, my fingers keep on catching the typewriters, and, and when I've got to deal with an iPhone, and dealing with touch buttons. There's always that trailing finger that just touches the screen and goes, ah, you know. uh, here we go. Yes, we're in, we're in. We're in, are we? No, we're not. This is not working. I'm going to have to reload because all the questions are stalled on that side. Why is that happening? But yeah, it's been a really hecticated week. On, as I said, on, on Tuesday, I did, um, I had, I don't click it. Oh, what's happening? Why is it doing this? I'm live, but where's the comments? Ah, there we are. Apparently Instagram is down, so maybe Facebook is affected too. I didn't touch anything, nothing, right? This is weird. All right, oh no, it's okay, I think. Yeah, Richard Perry, Gerard's Cross. Have you stolen anything this week? No. I had to really think about that. It's been nothing. 
David Pritchard arthritis? No, it's Jupiterans. Jupiterans is, um, they're basically growths of my tendons. And you can see on that, you can look at Anne. And if you see all that scar tissue, that's, I've had three operations. But if you look at that, right, that's growth that happens on the tendon. And that is a sign that I'm a genuine Viking. I am from Viking blood. So somewhere way back in the dim, dim, distant past, some Viking came across here and had intercourse with one of my great, 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 great grandmothers, right? Well, I hope it was my great, great, well, must have been, biologically. I'm just looking out the window. Uh, that's my neighbour Drew. And I'm wondering why is he on the top of my wood, my woodshed, but he's not. He's pruning a plum. He's pruning a plum tree. Maybe we should go out and have a word with him. Uh, <laughs> maybe not. We don't want to cause a garden accident, do we? Uh, hey, Drew. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's been, yeah, the, the Jupiter stuff. It's, it's a growth and a tendon. And sometimes you can get steroid injections and the steroids can take it down. But these things, like, these things are, like, way past injections. And I've got to get... What happens is I get... If you look at the scar on that hand, that's a cracker, right? And um, I get put out... I get put under. And uh, I've got a, a very good doctor. It's, he's done all three operations on me. And they've basically got to scrape the tendons and they try and get it back. So, but at the moment, I end up with a hand like Al Alvin Stardust, you know? Maybe that was what Alvin, Alvin Stardust had, was Jupiter's. But, but it's a sign. They found it and they discovered this on um, a Danish warrior and if, who was found in a peat bog. Not a disco bog, but a peat bog. And the body had been covered by peat, therefore the peat had kind of preserved it, had like mummified it. And when they took out his hands were like claws. And that's what actually happens eventually. If I do nothing about this, the hands just contract and contract and contract. And um, and uh, thank God I'm a singer, really. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you were a drummer, you was kind of, I mean, a keyboard player, it's like you think all the bum notes you could hit. But I won't go into that because I know Steve Vances is working on the Glasgow thing and he's having a wonderful time looking at Foss Patterson's keyboard parts. And... Uh, we were wondering what Foss had been drinking that night. But it's sounding good. Have we heard? Like, as you said, little man, what now? Steve's been building it all together and cleaning it up and tidying it up. And, um, Vince O'Malley, as I live and breathe. Vince O'Malley, how are you doing? Uh, Tony and Doug from Bedfordshire, Julie Hyde from Snowy Berlin. Joe Vapel from Northern California, Jay Hendricks, have the same fingers are bent, yep. Tim Sycamore, jab booked 9.20 in the morning. Simona goes in for her injection at 1.30 tomorrow in Bathgate. And we've got to drive across to the pyramids, <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing to get through. Um, Simona Dick, you will be having your injection at the pyramids. <laughs> Business centre in Bathgate. So I've got to drive all the way across there. And it's a real shame because if the game had been, if we'd been out of lockdown, we could have gone, got someone a rejection and gone to Livingston and seen the Hibs game across there. But as such, I will be driving back and coming into the, the room and we'll probably be watching Hibs Livingston on, on TV tomorrow. But, it's, uh, but yeah, I was saying, it was just before I was all fully prepped for this and things. And my, one of the lenses fell out of my glasses. And it was just last week. And you know when you get those messages that come through and like you go, 
I really need to deal with this. And it was a, da -da -da -da, we, are now, da -da, we have noticed you've not had an eye examination for ages, right? And um, it said, like, and I went, I've got, I should really get in touch with the opticians because, you know, oh, here comes my mum. <laughs> I'm on air, mum. If you walk through here, you'll be on, you'll be on, you might be on camera. <laughs> she says, no, my mum doesn't like going on camera. Do you need to go, do you need to go through? No, I can, look, you, you go through and I'll, I'll go outside, mum. No, I'll go outside for five minutes. Don't worry, don't worry. My mum just, my mum gets very camera shy. I completely agree. So we'll have to go out and see to Drew. Do you hear the birds? There's sunset. There's the sun dropping, crossing the west, just through the trees. And you can see the, um, I've got the lights on, on the propagator. So the tomatoes are, are bursting through. And um, chilies are a bit behind and I'm, I, I'm worried whether I've overwatered them, where I've just put a wee bit, because they've got a big hose and sometimes the drips go in some of the pots and there's, oh, there's bits of fungus and oh no, bollocks. So, why is that window open? It's one of the vents is open on the greenhouse. Why? But, um, and that, I'm really proud of my stepson because on his own, he put together a cloche. And uh, in there, he's got um, lettuces and radishes and all sorts of stuff. But I was really proud of him. Because he used to used to do gardening, but you know, since he became completely vegan, it's, um, he's he kind of pays a lot more attention to the growing things. And uh, it looks like I've got a camel on the ivy up on the. It's either a camel. It's no, it's a bird. It looks like a bird that's made itself out of ivy. But, um, but yeah, so everything's coming through. Like I said, the neighbour the neighbour's got cockerels, right? Hi Drew! You're on camera. Hi Derek. <laughs> How are you? Recording well, are we? Recording well. <laughs> How is your plum tree plum printing going? Yeah, going grand. Going grand, that's what I like to hear. Be careful on the ladder. Careful, on the wall now. On the wall. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like um and then this has all been coming together. Things growing. It's wonderful. But yeah, the bird populations have been great. Oh, watch, we've got these two wee robins that are kicking about. And one of them, if you go anywhere near the garden, if you ever, if you go anywhere near the garden and you go rooting about the soil, the thing's bopping about in your feet, it's great. You have to watch, because I'm I've got to keep away from mum. So I can come through here and you can say hello to Simona. Good, good evening. Good evening. Hello. And what are you doing, Simona? I'm just trying to make flan board. That's the, uh, like, dinner, dinner bread for our dinner tonight. Well, what's for dinner tonight? A Greek eintopf. That's big white beans. Look. These beans, ah. fresh to um, a fried onion, garlic, mince, and then these beans and fresh tomatoes, mm -hmm. 
and then you simmer it and then a lot of fresh parsley. Yum, yum. Yum, yum, I hope. Yeah, you've got to do the cookbook. They're, they're all asking you to do this cookbook. Oh. It's, um, but yeah, we had another little cannon plan thing happened that went completely wrong. Uh, this is Vitamix. And um, it's a really happening kind of blender thing. You make all sorts of stuff in it. It's got a really powerful motor in it. And the motor this week decided that it was going to go up in flame. Well, it went up in smoke. And Liam got it out before it went up in flames. Look at the greenhouse. Oh, that's cool. Sunset through the greenhouse. And then that's the next thing. We think it's loads of wee bits and pieces. I had to prune the fig tree, which it should grow back okay. That took a big hit. But it's getting all the beds and stuff, getting all them ready in the next week or so. But uh, you think the garden's big and you've seen that side, right? This is the other side. Am I still on? Yeah. That's the other side. And um, that's, where the, that's where the apple juice comes from. This is a dead pond at the moment. I need to get everything. So it's just so much stuff to do. But it's, uh, and I've, I've got all these projects. I'm going to lose this. I've got to watch the feed. It's, um, but yeah, that's the garden. And there's 40 orchard trees. Or they were until the deer and the rabbits started munching them. And uh, it's, um, it's a lot to look after. And now uh, it kind of worries me. I can go through now. Mum's back in the room. She really doesn't like being on camera. I know you've all been asking. But doesn't like it. It's, um, look at that. Isn't that pretty? That was, th that's number, probably, how many of them have we got? About 12? We've been getting, we've been taking cuttings off this plant. It's, uh, what do you call it? I don't know. I, I it's called Cuban sage. It's called, it's got all sorts of things. It's kind of like a. It rather smells like, no, like a. Very strong or oregano. Yeah, it's it's called oregano, but some Cuban oregano and things, mm -hmm. and they're kind of the leaves have got um. Meaty leaves. Yeah, very meaty leaves. They're really strong. And these plants go like crazy. We, we keep on taking cuttings and giving them away to people, and uh, and they keep on phoning up and going, "What do we do with this plant? It's gone absolutely nuts." We're, we're doing cuttings and giving it away to people. So anyway, where was that? Back in the living room again. Back in the land of the living room. Michael Hardy, Zamona should do a cooking video. She should do a cooking video. Right? Rico Anko, yeah. A Simona cookbook, so I thought, listen, she's great. Simona's a brilliant cook, and all the stuff she uses is like, you know, it's, but having a garden like this, and like moving into this, this time of the year, you know, and, and having the cloche set up, so we've got fresh salads coming at us. And as I said, I've got my tomatoes and chilies. I've got the melons, all the melon seeds in, cucumber seed. So you'll see it throughout the summer. But as I said, I'm going to have to try and move this onto Funny Farm Kitchen Garden because I know some of you just go, he's on about bloody gardening again. Right. David Coverdale's wife, John Watson. David Coverdale's wife did a, a cookbook. Yeah, Kenny Tate, such a beautiful setting. Yes. It's nice. It's, yeah, we do live away from the road, but seemingly the three sheds on the farm that belong to the farmer. Um, uh, the company is a storage company and it's kind of been moved on so when now we've got it looks like three other companies moved in and everybody everybody in the locale was a little bit uptight because it's like you know what does this all mean it's going to mean lots of trucks on the road 
which is only a single track road that comes into the farm and I can see annoyance coming along. Lots of annoyings. Oh, I missed that one. Somebody's birthday party. Right. Oh, I've got a load of things to tell, right? Gary Lowndes, yeah. Manuel Costa Duarte, how beautiful the sunset through the greenhouse when it, when it gets into serious sunsets. Oh, it's really nice. Good evening there, Frank, Frank Bazaar. Good evening, fresh from a lockdown Paris. Okay, let's move into that. Yeah. Um, situation regarding touring at this moment in time it is extremely doubtful that the European tour in September and October is going to go ahead. It's just, it's too many question marks about vaccinations and whether people will be ready and we can't do it. It's, um, and, and we're, we're, to, we're still talking to people, you know, to try and get assurances, but people aren't, well, you can't get assurances. It's like, you know, when are the pubs going to be open, you know? And I think the problem is that, you know, you know, a music tour, a rock and roll tour is a bit different from a pub, right? And that if somebody says you can open up in two weeks or three weeks, you go down to the, down to the, the cash and carry, you buy a load of stuff, you fill up the brewery, you get the barrels in, you clean the pipes, da-da-da, you get the place cleaned up, dusted down, da-da-da, you get prepared, it's open. We can't do a tour and prepare for a tour in three weeks, four weeks, or even two months. It takes a lot longer than that. Therefore, we are right on the cusp of, you know, whether it goes ahead or not. And all I will say is, right, I've said this before, do not buy tickets for the European shows or book hotels or flights or anything because the chances are minimum that this is going to go ahead. I'm really sorry to say it's nothing to do with us, but I mean, the COVID thing, and as I said, been looking at the vaccination, uh, the vaccination rollout in, in, in the whole of Europe. I mean, you know, in Germany, my father-in-law's had his first vaccination, but my mother-in-law's still waiting on hers. And uh, although they don't live together, they've been separated for a long time, but it's, um, but Gunnar, if you're watching, love you, Gunnar. And um, uh, good as it is, and it's doing really well, but Christiana is still waiting on us. And uh, they live in the same, the same town. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot of confusion about... Um, and as I said, you know, someone is going to the pyramids tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, take a quick trip down to Egypt so somebody can get a vaccination. No? But yeah, so someone gets it tomorrow, which means the weekend will probably be wiped out for us. And... Uh, or wiped out for someone and I'll be on cooking duties. And um, so, but, you know, the UK is, is going ahead. I mean, you know, I think England's up to 50% and Scotland's over over 40 now, although we're in a stage where, um, as you've known from the news, that it's like we're not getting the supplies at the moment, so there's a bit of a, a turn down in the rates. But, you know, people are talking about June, July, even if it's August, September, by the time, you know, opens up. The demographic of my audience is such that a lot of you will be vaccinated by then. So I feel pretty confident about going out on the six shows in the UK in November. And it's going to be quite spectacular because, and very emotional, highly emotional, because the first show, as I've said before, is we're going to be walking out stage at the O2 in Glasgow on the very first show. There are no more dates getting added. I did ask Mark at Gig Cartel about the possibility of adding some more shows after. And 
but he said they're all booked. And uh, <clears throat> you'll see the news come out in, in the next weeks. There's some friends of mine that I've talked to who've also had their tours derailed because of COVID. And, um, and they're in the unfortunate position where uh, their costs are kind of, they've got bigger production than I've got. And uh, it's, um, they're having to make changes, but they can't do the UK tour because it's like, they need the EU to balance off all the production costs. Whereas we've got, you know, relatively low uh, production costs. I've got a full band. Um, uh, I've already told Marcel and Dominic that they won't be doing it because we have to get visas for them to come across. And it doesn't make any sense for to us to get visas for Marcel and uh, Dominic just to come across for six shows. So John Mitchell is going to be playing guitars on the on the tour. We've got rehearsals kind of planned. Um, we're moving ahead on, on those shows because, like I said, the likelihood is high that they will go ahead. But there will be no more dates. It will just be those six shows, which is Glasgow, Bristol, Southampton, Cambridge, Sheffield, and um, Sheffield and Liverpool. Liverpool on a Saturday night. <laughs> That's scary. Right, so. Aaron, I've got to move it down. Rico Anker, what kind of vaccine should she get, big man? I think she's on the Oxford AstraZeneca. I'm getting really pissed off with the media at the moment. Well, I'm getting pissed off generally with the media. And I'm re I, have to, I have to really... The little man on my shoulder is going, don't talk about what you really want to talk about here because you'll just lose people, if you know what I mean. But uh, the media's been really irritating me, you know, and I really don't like this kind of EU, anti-UK, anti-UK, anti-EU, da-da-da, arguing and posturing. It's like, it doesn't help things. And um, I, I find it a bit embarrassing. And, you know, I was talking with, with Scott Mackay the other day and you know, we were talking about this whole regard to kind of the European situation because he's got a, a French wife and just saying that, you know, it, I, I don't like it when they start to kind of, you know, the Europeans are doing this, well, nasty Europeans and the UK, blah, blah. And, um, and I don't like the way that the media have been kind of um, ranking things up and rattling kind of wooden sabers, you know what I mean? It pisses me off. And some of the other stuff, don't talk about it, don't talk about it, don't talk about it. I know some of you know exactly what I'm on about and you know what I really want to talk about, but I can't because now is not the time because it will be misfiring and it, I will fire my guns when my guns will be fired, right? Anyway... Uh, do, 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 do. I'm looking again. Brandon Marley, what are the locations? The locations, the locations for the vaccines. Bathgate. We have to, yeah, we have to travel all the way to Bathgate, and, and so are a number of friends as well from Hannington. They're all going across there. Justin Evans, will it be as hard to tour in Ireland? Um, not in the question. Sorry. Right. William Blevins, solid for the European fans, but looking forward to Glasgow. Yeah. Tobias van der Peer, Johnny Mitchell, jo Johnny Mitchell, Johnny, I could Johnny Mitchell in guitar, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, John's good. It's, John's good. It's, and I've been talking to quite a few people this week because, as I said, I mean, on Tuesday I spent um, I spent fifteen hours. I was up at uh, I was up at eight o'clock in the morning because the builders were here for the extension, and I had to get stuff prepared for my mum and stuff, and. Um, uh, 
And I, I was up at eight and I was working bang, straight in, you know, phoning up people, getting things organised. And I didn't finish till 11 o'clock at night. And it finished with a, a two-hour phone call with Mickey Simmons, which was fantastic. <laughs> it was brilliant. I hadn't spoken to Mickey for years and I just, I forgot, you know, the two of us just have a great banter. But I'll move into that in a minute, right? Uh, Ray promised we will look after you, Fish. Well, thank you. No. David Day, can't wait for the Liverpool gig, Fish. Yeah, okay. But it's like, you know... <laughs> the O2 Academy in Liverpool, it's, it's a nightmare gig, right? Number one, it's a complete sweat box, right? It's a real serious sweat box of a gig. That was when I had to get the stool brought on stage. And I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so that's where I got the, the black... Oh, better not take you, they might want it back. But, it was, um, but yeah, it was in Liverpool. That was where I was standing on stage singing it and I actually felt my vertebrae move, right? And I went, cheek, and I went, oh! And I had to put a call out to Vince O'Malley, who's here tonight. What a coincidence. Ha. No. And uh, I had to put a call out for a stool so I could finish the gig sitting on a stool because of the pressure on my, my spine. It was just, it was so painful. And I was actually down at the docks the other day, but that's something else. But it was... Uh, but yeah, I'm going to have to get this looked at because um, it's not good at the moment. And um, But yeah, Liverpool O2 Academy, they still came on the stage. And, uh, and I remember it was covered in sweat. And it's a really low ceiling. And it was just looking out. And it was just... And Liverpool, everybody thinks they're a comic, right? And, it's like, and especially like when they've had a couple of swallies, it's like everybody, everybody's a comedian. And they seem to lose their hearing, right? Because they don't hear anything anybody's saying to them. They just go launch at you. And it's the most difficult, one of the most difficult gigs to do. And I just hope it's going to be a bit more composed. I mean, I love Liverpool. But I think when you do the Royal Court, and it's a big open venue, but when you're in something with a really low ceiling, right, it's intense, right? Uh. TV Smith, totally with you on the B word. Yeah. Uh. Bob good evening, fish people. Michael Wood will be there in the O2. Yeah, Mark Kent, yeah, we're all feeling the same. Yeah, I know what you're on. We, we all know what we're on about, right? And I don't want to alienate, you know, a lot of this audience by kind of going on a big rant. But it's um, all I'll say is, like, I'm really hating the hypocrisy that is up in this, this little country of ours at this moment in time. Really sick of it. And it's uh, some people, you know, I've lost a lot of respect for, a hell of a lot of respect for. And it's... Uh, Anyway, Pamela, Pamela Jansen, did you ever work with Guthrie Govan? No, love the guy. I've, I've met him and it's like, great player, fantastic player. Uh, yeah, Robert Ball, unless, yes, yes. Uh, Robert Olsen, is Mickey well? Yes, Mickey is recovering from COVID and he's, he's getting himself back together. He was in great form the other, other night and we, had, we just had a marvellous time. The reason, right, I can now go into this, right? The reason we were talking is because I'm forwarding all these projects, right? The first two projects, I've mentioned before, but Stevie Vances is mixing the Glasgow gig from the last tour, and it's starting to really come together nicely. And we've been looking for some film footage, and we don't know if it works because the sound, there's a question over the sound, and there's a couple of dodgy bits. But I phoned up um, my mates from Fairport Convention, and I remembered that they'd filmed the, the set, 
that we played in 2018, which was with John Beck on keyboards. And um, so I phoned up, I phoned up the guys, and they said yes, we have it. And they said, would you like it? And I said, yes, please. And they said, no problem. And Gareth Williams, who's the, the main guy at the Fairports, has been an absolute gem, right? And he said, just have it, you know, it's yours, you know? And we've been setting up this brilliant footage. The only problem is that the, the sound is left and right. It's only a stereo mix. And um, we're going to have to play about with it because we, we can't actually go in and start changing things and, 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 and adjusting things to any great degree apart from EQs. But it, visually, it's absolutely incredible. And it's the clutching set. And weirdly, you know, the last, the last one we did, we had the two different concerts, right? And one was uh, Foss Patterson and the other one was John Beck. And this one is John Beck on the first, on the property thing. And then the changeover across the Foss Patterson, it's like the switch. It's like, it's as if people could only play keyboards for, for so long with me and then they just faint and give up. <laughs> so yeah, but, it's, but the property footage is absolutely spectacular. But the sound isn't particularly great. And, um, but we might be able to, to save it and, and do a bit, a bit of magic, a you know, bit of glitter, a bit of magic and that, right? a bit of fairy dust. So that's the clutch and straws thing. Steve's, as I said, he's mixing that. Callum Malcolm is about to set up a remaster of the Feast of Conse Consequences vinyl album. And we're going to do a half-speed uh, master on that. And we're going to change a couple of the tracks on the on the, the second side because it had some early Feast of Consequences and we can bring in some of the, the movable Feast stuff and put that on vinyl. So at least there's some some of that live material that's going to be on the vinyl. So it'll be a half-speed master on Feast of Consequences. And Callum is also going to be doing a complete remix of 13 Star. And um, again, we'll be putting a half-speed master on the vinyl on that one. So Stevie Vances, he's got his work cut out because he's got to mix the live album and Stevie and I are compiling all the 30 star um, bits and bobs. A lot of demos, a lot of interesting demos, but sadly, we don't actually have that much, that many live recordings. For some reason, we don't know what it is, but I mean... We, we can't find, and there weren't that many kind of live recordings of the, the, the 13 Star Tour made. But um, I'm looking, we're searching and, and trying to find stuff. It wasn't a tour that I particularly enjoyed because that was the tour where my voice started to go AWOL, and that was when uh, I had a lot of problems and it was antibiotics and steroids and all sorts of stuff and I never knew where my voice was going to be. Some nights were great and I think that was probably why we didn't record them because it was, there, were, there was a lot of iffy shows around then and I didn't know until I came off the tour and I went in and saw the voice specialist that I had a cyst on my, my vocal cord that had been there as she reckoned for over two years, right? So I'd been singing with this big cyst on my vocal cord for two years, which is why the performances were, you know, all over, all over the place. But we have got a lot of stuff from 30 Star. 
David Barris and Scott Mackay are going to be doing, uh, we're doing another big documentary. So we're keeping the original documentary and doing another one. And Steve and I are going to be talking, you're more involved with this thing and talking through it. So, uh, but I mean, the demos, there's a lot of interesting, um, a lot of interesting demos from that time. And um, because it changed, the focus of the album changed as my personal life kind of changed, you know? So, uh, so yeah, it's good. Mark Wilkinson's prepped up for it, but Stevie's going to be handling a lot of the, the... Steve Ances will be handling a lot of the sleeve design. When I sent him down the email where this is what we want to do, he, was, he went... <coughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, means, yeah, it means he's got work. You know, I mean, it means that we've we both got work. And I think that's what buoyed me this last week and the fact that, like, you know... The sun was starting to come out, the garden was growing, and suddenly I've got projects. Even though, like I said, the European tour got a, you know, it's got a gun put to its head at the moment. It's, um, knowing that the six UK dates were going to be there just gave me a tiny, tiny little gleam. You know, I will get onto a stage. But, it's, uh, but yeah, so that's the, fir the first projects. It's like I said, the new half speed. Uh, mastering of the Feast of Consequences vinyl, the the live album from 2018, the Clutch of Straws tour, um, and the full 13 star remix, remaster, repackage, and we're doing that in a big book, like the Veltschmerz book, and this, the, the Feast of Consequences um, deluxe version, so we do them exactly like that, because uh, I love those ones, the slipcases with the hardback books, they just feel special. And that's kind of what I want to do with the the, the rest of this catalogue as it moves in and out. It's um, you know leave kind of a legacy kind of addition. And uh, so those three, those three, so thirty star feast of consequences, blah blah blah, gives me two vinyls, two double vinyls to put out. Um, my manufacturer's profact. I've found uh, a, a vinyl pressing plant in Belgium. So uh, they're, and they're able to turn it over a lot faster. It's a bit more expensive, but at this moment, GZ, who are where I manufacture at the, at the moment, or where Profact manufacture vinyl at the moment in Czechland, their plant is seemingly ridden with COVID and a lot of their uh, production line staff have, have been ill and they're working with reduced staff. And their delivery times are seven months on vinyl, seven months because of the backlog right so instead of going for gz who are a great company we've gone for this belgian lot who are also really good but as i said slightly more expensive but they can deliver in basically 12 weeks so if that's the case and everything falls into plan i'm looking at trying to get the feast of consequences and the 13 star vinyl out in midsummer and by having the two vinyls that are coming out together means that if people if people want to buy both albums together, they fit inside the weight of a, an acceptable Royal Mail package at the lower end, right? And that takes me into just a little sidestep. The, the postage stuff is driving us crazy. As you probably read on the intro, we had one guy right, in Germany, ordered five packages, right, and one of them arrived, no problem, uh, one 
was tracked, the tracking sign kept on saying it's in the customs, right? And yeah, one arrived, one came back, and two have been returned. Yeah, was, it, was that what it was? Yeah, two have been returned. And it's exactly the same address, right? They're all going to the same address, but two of them have been returned because it said you know, wrong address. And it's driving us crazy. And, you know, we've, especially when you've got people in Brazil and Mexico that are like, you know, you know, no such address. And we go, it is the address, you know? And there's just a lot of sloppiness. And I think what's happening is that um, we've been told by a number of people that there's a, a, a backlog at customs because of all these packages going from the UK into the EU with these new Brexit kind of regulations. They're kind of like freaking out. And it's like the system's overloaded trying to deal with all these new customs packages. And the problem is that everything's going to change in July. This is why I'm pursuing um, the Dutch alternative, right? And as I've said before, the idea is to have a, a mail order set up in Holland that can deal with all the EU packages, which means that all the £7, £8 that's been charged on top of packaging for administration charges will disappear. And... You know, some people have, have rent back and we've had packages where people say, I'm not paying that. But it's got nothing to do with us. We don't charge VAT to the EU anymore, right? It's charged in the EU. So all people pay at this is the basic price. The only country that pays VAT from packages that leave here are the UK. We, there's no other VAT charges anywhere else in the world. So that's why the EU prices have gone up, which is why it's important for us to try and find some way to get, uh, to get packages into the EU. Because if we're producing in Belgium and producing in Holland, this, I'm sorry, this might be boring some people, but it's like if we can produce in Holland, uh, produce in Europe and they go to Holland, then it, they, they stay, they don't get involved with all these import charges, and then we send them out, which makes it easier. Because it is really hurting us. It really is hurting us. So let's move back into the other happy stuff. So, 30 star, uh, 30 star, Feast of Contours vinyl and the live album, aiming for Midsummer. Um, the Fugazi remaster is supposed to be right at the end of the summer, right? And Vigil and uh, Internal Exile, right? They are being, we're trying to set them up for October, November. And if we can do that, Right, then we get the vinyl sorted out, and then we can take the vinyls out and tour, which means even the UK customers can save on postage. So I'm trying to think that way because I'm very aware that it is postage is so inexpensive and it's ridiculous, you know. It is absolutely, I mean, I just find it ridiculous, right? So, internal Excel and Vigil, we're looking at trying to get them out for October. These are all the kind of rough plans, you know. And um, and that's why I was talking with Mickey. So, I I was talking with Mickey about this stuff. So, um, with Vigil and Internal, we're going doing Blu-rays, right? So we're both are Blu-rays. I'm not doing five to ones. I'm sorry, some of you might be disappointed, but I'm not doing five to ones. I know there are there's an element that really wants to hear them. 
but it is too expensive to bake all the tapes and strip it all down to individual tracks, to put it out to Avril McIntosh and Andy Bradfield to go through all that. It's just, it's too expensive. And we just, it doesn't qualify it for the numbers that, that I think we're going to do on it. So I'm going in this weekend, once I've dropped Simona back at the house, I'm going into the big dusty cupboards and I've got to go looking for stuff, including the Half Inch Masters of Vigil and Internal Exile. And uh, once I forget them, I'll get them baked and take them, strip them right back to, I'll get the digital copies that we can use as an absolute base for Callum Malcolm to do his magic remastering on. Right? On the Vigil, uh, on the Vigil um, release, on the deluxe version, we're going to basically have uh, an entire CD of demos and early, early stuff, right? And then we've got the space to do another two CDs of all the different live recordings from all the different eras, from all the different bands. So there'll be f four CDs. So the original album, a demo, a demo CD, and the two lives, and then the Blu-ray. On the Blu-ray, we're... Uh, we we actually shot a documentary over two years ago in preparation for this, but things have moved on, and uh, we're going to shoot another one. So with this one, we're going to get um, uh, Mickey's going to come up here, and we're going to do an interview session with me and Mickey, which I know is going to be a lot of fun. And just by that phone call that Mickey and I had the other day, there's some stuff that I've forgotten, and there's some stuff that he's forgotten, and together. I think we can piece together all the laughter and fun that happened during that album, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. And to add to that, I mean, I've got a load of eight millimeter footage from here, from when I moved into the farm, like footage from uh, the original rehearsal room. I've got footage, and Mickey's I'd forgotten about this. I said, do you remember when Steve Archibald, the football player, was in the, in the, in the rehearsal room? He went, Steve Archibald? I said, yeah, there was, we've got footage of Steve Archibald and, got, and, uh, and Gordon Ray, the Hibs captain, it was when Steve was, was, was playing for Hibs, and they came down and, uh, to, see, to see a rehearsal, which was pre-Lockerbie. And it was like John Keeble on drums, Bruce Watson, Yannick Gers and stuff. It's fantastic. And we've got all this footage on 8mm, plus footage from the Highlands and Islands tour, from the early gigs, and I'm going to be tracking down some other stuff. And Mickey on the call the other day, he said that when he was putting together an anniversary kind of film montage thing for uh, his wife's uh, Sarah on, the, on her, her birthday, or what was their, their anniversary, he came across these tapes and he completely forgotten about them. And he found a load of, loads of tapes that all got loads of stuff from Internal Exile and Vigil, which is fantastic. So we've got a huge treasure trove of material for the, the Vigil album. And the day after I talked to Mickey, I was talking to Chris Kimsey, who produced Internal Exile and was uh, the, the guinea pig producer here at the, the original Funny Farm Recording Studios. And Chris and I were having a, a real blast on the phone. And Chris has got some bits and pieces and he's going to come up here and we're going to do an interview about the very early days of the Funny Farm as well. So the, the vigil and internal kind of um, uh, remasters are going to be very, very special. And we're going to be spending a lot of time working on them, building it together because they're the oldest albums. The material's been more played than any other kind of any other albums, and it's going to be really special. And I'm actually really excited about it. And of course, I've got a shitload of sleeve notes to write. So 
I'll go and have a look at some of the things you've said. Uh, Francis Bishop, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hank Templeman, of course I'll be giving you a shout for the 13 star video. I mean, the thing is that you, we've got to try and get some some material from sources that are really difficult, right? I mean, the BBC is notoriously difficult. I mean, I actually started talking to the BBC um, archives, which are actually run by the Getty Corporation these days, right? And we phoned him up and said, we'd like to use about four songs. It was like, oh, well, we want about 15,000 quid for that. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right? We want this percentage and this and that. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's an independent, we're only going to sell a couple of thousand, right? And it's like, oh, well, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And it was back and forward, back and forward. And we got so far down the line. And then the negotiations with Warners kind of fell apart. And, and then something else happened and it all got left. So I've got to go back. I've got to go back to the Getty Museum <laughs> and ask them for four tracks. And it annoys me because it's like, you know, we did we did this stuff, we, we recorded it, I think it was Nottingham Royal Court, I think, and then the other gig was at, uh, in London. Uh, oh, I can't remember the venue, Forum, I think it was. And um, there's, a, there's a couple of good versions of things, but, you know, it's, it annoys me that you, you kind of do these things. They record you, they take the tapes, and then they own the copyright forever. You, you don't get paid for a live performance for the BBC. You don't get any money for it, right? But you can't, you've got to deal with them in latter years to get the copyright. But it can be done, and I'm a nice guy, and I'm open to negotiation, and I'm sure the magic word compromise can be found somewhere along the line. Right? Uh, could we maybe have a commentary on the albums with Fish at the console? There's an idea. Yeah, maybe that's an idea. It's a Liverpool gig standing only. <laughs> Don't gig. Cheers for the big man himself. Yes, yes, probably. Yeah. yeah, it's a standing gig, which is another reason why it's really, really hot in there. I mean, it's, it's just, and I can't work with air conditioning. I cannot sing. It's one of the things I have. It's one of the problems I always have in America when we, with the American tours, remember them? Yes, the thing I always had when we played America was, uh, um, uh, air conditioning. Everybody's mad on air conditioning across there. I personally hate air conditioning, and I don't know any singer who likes singing in an air conditioned environment. Because when it's air conditioned, it basically it takes the, the, the moisture out of the air. So when you're singing, when you're breathing and singing and stuff, that dry air is going right past your cords all the time. Right? And it just basically takes all the moisture out of your cords. And you end up coughing and, oh, I hate it. And I find it very, 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 very difficult to sing in, in AC. It's very uncomfortable. And, um, and on top of that, you get the scratch and stuff because it dries all the sweat off, off your head and your head just starts, gets really, really itchy. So I normally ask, I normally ask for the air conditioning to be turned off or just turn the fresh air on, just put fresh air in the venue. And of course, the promoters in America, hey man, we can't turn the air conditioning off. You can kill people out there. You know, we we can't do we can't do gigs like that. You know, we need the chill. Right? And it's um, but yeah, and at the O2 Academy, it's like I have to. They have got air conditioning, but I just say, blow fresh air in, blow fresh air in. You know, Walter Strait, hello from Bavaria. Lee Brown, sounding good. Kevin Mark. 
Simon Farquhar, late to the party. I hope you have a letter from your mother. Uh, will you release the BBC Nottingham concert on your XL, Clive Goodwin? That's what I'm on about. I don't want to do the whole thing. I, I did, the BBC CDs came out and they came out when I was on this voice print label. I can't remember if it was voice print or whatever, and they put them out. And it was, it was a hefty percentage. They take a hefty cut for, for putting those albums out. And like I said, I don't only want about three or four tracks because we've got so many from through the years. Really good versions of stuff. You know? uh, Gareth, Gareth Griffiths, Yannick Gale's a wonderful guitarist, played some great stuff with Gillen. Yeah, Yannick's a lovely guy. And uh, maybe we'll put View from the Hill up for a vote. Like I said, it's, it's great. I remember when Yannick came to the, the rehearsal studio, which is basically that room there, right? Where it was just the, the, the rehearsal room. You'll see it on the, on the, the footage. Like I said, I've got hours and hours of, of footage from this place, right? And Yannick came in, he's in the rehearsal room, putting the guitar around his head, you know, it's like, you know, take it, spinning it around his head. And he did it on stage in Lockerbie, but the first time he did it here, everybody went, what the fuck? <laughs> What's that? Even Frank was going, what the fuck? <laughs> Mount Josh Cambridge boot. Yamish Stankovic, hello. Steve Fuchs, are the remasters going to be in the same format as all the others? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be a Blu-ray and CDs. The same, same internal Excel and vigil, as I said, we're aiming at doing four CDs and a Blu-ray, 100-page book, shitloads of photographs and stuff. Mark Wilkinson is primed to do the, the, the Excel and vigil stuff as well. Uh, Elaine Bithry, will you ever play the Ark in Aylesbury again? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, all the shows from 2020 were moved to 2021. So a lot of the shows in 2021 that are probably going to be up to October or so, they're all getting shifted into 2022. So all the dates and the venues, and I've already been talking to some people about, you know, the possibility dates in late 2022. I mean, this is ridiculous. And they're actually saying, forget it. And I've checked all the shows in the UK. And if you join all the dots, it makes up the shape of a jester. What's that deliberate? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. David Daniel Pellner, any chance of a remaster of Suits, Mr. 1470? They're already. We're back. <laughs> you ain't seen me, right? We're back. I was I nearly pressed the finish button, right? Oh, Steve, stop sending me messages in the middle of this. Right? <sighs> it's gone weak. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, so anyway, it's, I'm just going like, oh, it must be the time we come back on again. Right, so, where are we? Vigil, internal, deluxes, blah, blah, blah. Right, let's move on to it. Right. When I was talking with Mickey, I reminded about, about something, right? I've got to find, where is it? Where is it? Oh, bollocks. Ah, well, when Mickey and I got together, 
when Mickey and I got together, right, and he, he reminded me of something I'd completely forgotten about. Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors was originally called The Listener. That was the title of, of Vigil, The Listener. Listen to me, The Listener, right? And Mickey's got some demo tapes of when I went down, and I forgot about this as well. I went down to Mickey's garage like, way back in 88, and we did some very, very early demos in, in Mickey's place, in Mickey's little studio garage thing, right? The Listener, right? And, uh, and he's got these demos. But Mickey, when, when he had that, he used to play in this piano called, it was called a helping still, right? And Mickey had no room in his garage. And um, he said, do you want this piano? He said, look, he said, I'll, I'll sell you. He said, you can have it. He said, yeah, you can have it, I'll sell you. So I bought this helping still piano off Mickey for 400 quid. And it went up and it sat in the room of, uh, in this big room I had in Gerald's Cross. I think I explained to you before, I had the big glass windows in front. And I'll, I'll read you about it in a minute, but right. So it was a big black fiberglass uh, top and it was slant to the side. I've explained this to you before, right? There was, there was slopes at the side, which was a nightmare at parties when you put your glass in it, it fell off and things, right? Anyway, this helping still piano is out in my garage and it's taken up shitloads of space. And I've kept it because I don't have the heart to throw it away because it, it's such a special piano. And I talked to my daughter Tara about this. So she said, well, don't dare throw that away. You know, it's if she's going to take it up to her wee place in Wraith. You know, there you are. Just go down the house. <laughs> Just go past the piano. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big thing, right? And the helping still piano was a piano that was designed for touring. It was back in the days when when all the bands went out and they needed pianos on the... Uh, when they needed pianos on the road, to bring pianos in and set them up on stage and bring tuners in, it was too expensive. And everybody was using piano. So this is it, right? So anyway, I did, I'd, I'd gone to try and find out about it a few years ago and I found this thing on Wikipedia or a classic kind of music instrument site. And it was helpful, right? But a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the garage and about how we've got to get this garage emptied out because we've got so much stuff in there. And that's another reason why it's going to be so great if I can get this Dutch merchandise thing sorted out because I can shift a load of pallets direct to the Netherlands and they help clear out the area here. Because with all the, with the five different... Um, the, the five different well, the five different products, it's like the five different releases plus Fugazi. You know, we're gonna need quite a lot of space here. And uh so to split it up is good. Anyway, so helping still piano, right? I decided I'm gonna i I'm gonna find out a little bit more about it. And I went blah, 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 helping still. And up it comes. Helping still acoustic pickups. We are making helping still acoustic pickups. We've kind of re got, we've redone the whole thing. This is our new website and we're still operating and it's wonderful, right? And um, and I went, wow. And it was like the helping still acoustic pickups, but they didn't mention the pianos, right? And I had a thing in the history about, you know, we originally used to make blah, blah, blah pianos, right? So, right? And I'm going to read you this because it's so brilliant. Uh, so I sent a message to Helping Still, the contact page, da-da-da, and I said, da-da-da, I'm fish, etc., etc. And um, 
um, I've got this helping soul baby grand piano that was an, an old um, a, that I've worked done a lot of work on, and I'd be interested in kind of getting it repaired and you know or or, or finding out. I, you know, I don't want to just dump it, you know, because it's a big lump of metal. This thing is heavy. This thing makes a mellotron, right, feel like carrying an accordion around, right? It's a huge big lump of metal and massive flight cases. And the keyboard goes into the front of the piano. So you take the you take it out the you take it out the big flight case, you put leg put these legs that screw on, which we've still got, they're all tarnished. You set the thing up and then you lift the keyboard into it, right? And it, the keyboard clips in and the hammers sit on top of the, 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 the strings and stuff. And then you've got, you even had a, uh, the damper pedal that you screwed in as well. I mean, it was just, it was designed for touring with the two DIs in the side so you can take an electric feed from the help and still acoustic pickups that were very, very special, right? So I send away, I ask for info, and this is what I got back, right? This is great, right? Just follow me on this, right? Hi, Derek. We're always interested in news of where our PG-21 portable grand pianos have ended up. There were only 89 of these ever made, so they're like my wayward children. I designed the prototype in 1978 and still have it as my primary performing instrument. I also own serial number 0067, but it has been heavily cannibalised over the years to keep my original going. The serial number is stamped into the wood of your piano in several places, one of which is on the bottom and about the centre of the keyboard. I have bought back two others in recent years from eBay listings, both for $500. One of them we reconditioned and sold to another Texas musician for $3,000. The other one completes the decor of my recently furnished mid-century modern home here in Houston. Both require driving to far-off locations from Texas, Portland, Oregon and Tampa, Florida, since shipping is prohibitive. When these pianos were introduced in 1979 at the first trade show, we took 512 orders. We went into production and continued until 81 when we introduced the Roadmaster flight case piano. It was a runaway hit for $1,995 and we sold thousands. Our biggest mistake was underpricing the grand blah 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 5000 since we were complete competing with the recently introduced Yamaha CP70 which cost the same. If we had priced it at 6950 or even 8950 we probably would have found the right market sooner. People who had actually moved around a full-size grand to gigs. Even at that, $5,000 in today's money is over $23,000 in inflation. These pianos were made possible after we found out the Kimball, the maker of the 4 foot 5 La Petite Grande, was making a playable unit before the furniture was adding. Most piano manufacturers make the furniture first and then build the piano mechanism into it. We managed to strike a deal with Kimball to sell us the inner room assembly, which we modified to our needs. Parts from the Kimball Le Petit are readily available since thousands were sold and I recently replaced the entire keyboard and action on mine by buying one and swapping them out. The PG-21 remains the state of the art in a full-size piano that can be moved around by one person. <laughs> And of course, it contains the help and still pickup system for single amplification. There can be no more made since Kimball is no longer making pianos. It deserves to be used by a gigging musician when that tradition re-emerges. I hope this gives you some idea of your piano's value. We would buy it from you immediately if you were a little closer. 
I read your bio on your website and found it fascinating. Someday, when all the craziness is over, I intend to visit Scotland and look you up. I hope you will grant me audience. I will bring the Glen Fiddich. Sincerely, Ezra Charles Helpenstill. Isn't that brilliant? Right? I got a letter back from the guy that actually designed and made this, right? And it's like, it's just brilliant. And suddenly this whole thing kind of, it just changed. So I can't keep it. But then again, I also know that to some somebody out there is, is actually, you know, worth something. And it could be a great project for somebody to do. So, but what we want to do, right? What I want to do is when Mickey comes up, right? I want to get this piano, right, out of the garage and get the flight cases. <laughs> Actually, film it. <laughs> it's definitely, I promise you, it's definitely not a one-person thing. And I remember on the vigil tour, like, my production manager at that time, which was pre I just said, don't even think about putting this in the back of the truck. Don't even think about it. <laughs> it's a monster. But we want to get it, I want to get it out. And maybe bring it in here, I'll get it tuned up, and then Mickey and I will go do some playing on it and, and, and put it together and put that on the, 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 the video, on the Blu-ray of the Vigil album. Because that, that was the piano that came up here, that sat in that room, right? And that's where we did all the demos. We wrote all the demos, all the pianos, well, all the basic writing was all done in that piano, right? And that's why I want to I wanna play you this, right? Ah, cha, 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 cha. Oh. Oh, bollocks. <laughs> That's what I forgot to do. <laughs> I knew there was something. Oh. <laughs> Where's the bloody remote? <laughs> it's got a mind of its own. It's got a mind of its own. I think after every Fish and Friday show, it's, it's actually it's got little legs on it, and it just crawls away in a corner. Right? It goes, I'm going to and hide now. I'm going to hide. He can come. You'll never find me this week. You'll never find me this week. But yeah. So I thought I'd play you this first because it's quite extraordinary. And luckily I found this. Oh, Mrs. was playing John Martin the other day. Yeah. And it's lucky I found this because it was on the B-side. It was, it was like, you minded the B-side really fast. So we said, I've got these old demos, so we can do that. And um, what number is it? On this thing, I can't. 13. How weird. Play. So this is the this is the original demo, right? For gentlemen's excuse me. And this was recorded, this is Mickey and I playing, just to help and Mickey playing the helping still, me singing, shoot a microphone, right, in the old thing, right? And I don't know if you'll be able to hear it, right? 
but you, it's, you, this the demo will be again on the the demo disc on on the thing because we've got all the demos, big wedge, everything, right? You can actually hear the apple trees outside the window because it used to be like it was a it was a brick and, and stone on one side and on the other side it was kind of like a wooden frame with kind of glass windows and it had a, um, a load of uh, espalier apple trees on the outside and you can actually hear the branches tapping on the window on the recording, it's stunning. So without further ado, and without a fire, I'm sorry, but it wasn't worth putting a fire on it, mate. This is a gentleman's, excuse me, demo with Mickey Simmons in Fish. Thank you. 
the demo. That was the demo, recorded in that very room, right? That room right there in front of, in front of the kitchen, where the kitchen door is, right? Where that kitchen door is. That was the end wall, right? Well, the, the original rehearsal room where we, we, we recorded this. And like I said, you can't quite hear it, but it'd be impossible to pick up on the, you know, on, on this. But on the actual day, you can actually hear those apple trees kind of like tipping on the, the, the wall. It always takes me back. But um, I'll play the I'll play the original the the original one. I'll play the other one as well. I mean, um, it was a uh, <clears throat> gentleman's was written. It was at that time in nineteen eighty seven. I, I got mar I got married. Go away! I'm not interested in radio buzz. Um, at the time, it was uh, it was kind of hard. I got married in '87, and I've, I've said before, it's like I got, we both got maybe married too young. We didn't really kind of understand what marriage was really going to be about and stuff, and we weren't kind of what you might call a typical married couple. And there was a lot of bad influences around us and stuff, and um, and we both loved each other, and it was like. And, but we were just very kind of strong individuals and um, we were falling apart. And at the time when I, when I wrote this, it was kind of part of the, you know, leaving Marillion. It was, like I said, it was kind of part of it. It was like, I kind of knew that if I stayed in the band, then my personal life was in danger and going on a very dark and horrible spiral. And I had to kind of extricate myself from it all. Wasn't the only reason, but it was um, it was there. And I wanted to kind of, uh, I wanted to see my marriage. I, you know, I felt I had to be grown up and mature and stuff. And I felt, you know, I mean, you know, back then I was a very different person. I was a very different person and, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, very immature. I was a boy, you know, and you know, there's all these things on, on the news and stuff about boys and men. Right? I think I became a man over the years and I learned, you know. And, uh, but this song was about, it was about trying to save, to save a marriage and, you know, and trying to face up to the realities of it all. And I, I wrote it for Tamara, who was then my wife. And um, the artwork that was done by Mark Wilkinson was had, Tamara was actually on the artwork and I gave that artwork um, to my to my wife when we divorced. It was like, this is yours. And, and it's, it's Tara's. It's uh, will always belong to, to Tara in the end. And, um, and it was, it was a song. It was, it was a kind of love song. And it was, it was about, you know, the dance. I mean, I know people have talked about dances and stuff like that, but I mean, it was about, it was, it was the dance. And I liked that kind of one step forward, two step back. It's got one step forward, two steps back. Cause that was kind of what I felt was happening at the time. And, you know, I had to stop dancing. You know, I had to leave the floor, really. And it was about, it was kind of like, you know, either we've either got to deal with the reality of our situation because if we don't, you know, it is over, right? And um, as I said, Mickey and I put this together. I'm really proud of this lyric and crafting this lyric was, 
I always look on as one of my finest. I think it should have been. I, th I think if EMI at the time had put more effort into it, it could have been a lot bigger. I can't even remember what chart position it got to, but it wasn't anything. Yeah, it, it didn't get the radio play. It was the same old thing, you know. And um, it didn't get the radio play. But I was, and, and in Holland, in, in the Netherlands, it's always seen, it's up there with Kaylee, you know. It, it's not as peaky as Kaylee, but I mean, it gets a lot of respect from from the Dutch audience and, and Dutch radio play it a lot, as you know from people that live in the Netherlands, know that it was dealt with at, um, the, the kind of New Year kind of vibe, anyway. This is not Herdinger. <laughs> it's a wine o'clock. Ah! Yeah. But it was interesting because as, as well as the license and the stuff back from Warners who have been absolutely brilliant, you know, dealing with this, they've also, we've also licensed the videos. And so I've got the gentleman's excuse me video. And again with Mickey, it's like we were talking about this, but you know, when it was filmed in Berlin, because I wanted to, to to do this song in Berlin, it was, you know, it was, you know, my first wife had been in the Kaylee video and it was kind of, it was an old romantic me and it was like, you know, let's go back to Berlin and let's, you know, let's film the song, film the song just down from Ansa Studios, you know, on the strip, just on the other side of the wall where we used to throw the stones to set off the landmines and shit. And Mickey was really up for it. It was like, let's drop a grand piano in and put Mickey. Mickey was a little bit nervous when he walked out onto that sound. Go, touchy feet, <laughs> tango feet. And um, and it was great. Frank up on the wall with the with the, the, the gypsy costume and stuff, and the holes in the wall. And the thing was, and I was trying to remember. Oh, what have I done? What have I done with it? And bollocks. What I should do is I'll play it and I'll find a bit of paper that's relevant to it. Unless I've got it here. No, I'm not. Oh, yeah, here it is. Right. The guy who directed it, and I completely forgot about this, right? And in doing so, in finding out, kind of, uh, finding out some information on this, I actually found a really, something really off the wall that I never knew about. Right? Off the wall, right? The director was called Julian Doyle, right? And... I think it was he was suggested to me by the EMI video people who I loved. I loved the EMI video department. I used to love going down there and watching clips and stuff and, and I had some great friends down there. And uh and I think they suggested it because Julian had worked with uh Kate Bush as well on the cloud busting video. And um and we met up and I really liked him. But the thing that sold Julian to me, right, was Julian was a production manager with Monty Python and he was involved with all the Monty Python films. And um, he did, uh, the, the one that he kind of, he really helped out with the direction as well. He wasn't just kind of, you know, he was very active on the Monty Python films. And um, he also played the police sergeant. If you know, if, if, if for those of you who are fans of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, there's this bit where it's all, and the, the police sergeant runs up and goes, stop all this, stop all this. That was Julian Doyle. And Julian and I got on really well. And I said to him that I wanted to film it in Berlin, and this was the idea. And he loved that idea. 
and he just thought it was it was great. And it, I'm actually it's sad to say that when I went on Julian Julian's kind of Wikipedia page, nobody mentions Gentlemen's Excuse Me, right? And I think it's a brilliant video, and it's like. We, we used all the East German dancers. Uh, it was an East German ballroom, com uh, ballroom company. And we said to them, we would like you to perform on the other side of the wall with spotlights, with searchlights on you. And they just went, yes, we will do this. Yeah, this is schön. That is fun, Spaß, yeah. <laughs> and that's what we did. And it was an East German ballroom troupe that kind of danced there. And then Santa Claus and Frank and Mickey on the piano and then singing it and then... It was an old, uh, one of those really old kind of mansion houses, and and uh, and it was in West Berlin. I can't remember. It could have been, it could have been Charlottenburg, where we actually had the, the, the where the dance school was, because that's where, you know, Tammy did that dance on her own, which was just, you know, this whole thing about, you know, fantasy time and stuff. And it was a really beautiful video, and I love it. And I've got all this footage, this eight millimeter footage of Mickey and Frank and all the back backstage stuff, you know. But um, the thing was that it was uh, when it came to to working with John Kelly about it. John Kelly said, uh, "This is great, and okay, you've done all the strings on um, on this, and we can do it with strings, but." How do you feel about using an orchestra? And I was like, <laughs> and Emai went, orchestra, kaching, kaching, <laughs> and I went okay, and it was uh, I went yeah, it's good, and well, let's record it at Abbey Road in the main studio in Abbey Road, and I went yeah, Emai, kaching, 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 <laughs> warning, Will Robinson, warning, Will Robinson. <laughs> Do, 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 budget, 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 budget. And um, and John really knew what he was doing. And I can't remember who, who organised the strings in it. And I should have checked that before before I did the broadcast. But but yeah, so we went into um, Abbey Road. And, um, and there I was, faced with this orchestra. And it was a little, tiny little control room. It, it, was, it was more like something you can expect to see in a... In a, in a, in a uh, kind of nuclear control room. It didn't feel like a kind of music kind of control room that I'd ever been in in my life. It was it was quite strange, but it was it did the trick. It worked before for a lot of different people with a lot of very famous people had been in that that uh, that studio. And then I walked in the morning with Mickey, and Mickey was to play the big Steinway. <laughs> And uh, and Mickey, I mean Mickey was easy. I mean he's Mickey's a complete pro musician. Like I'll play on orchestra, no problem, right? And it was a conductor, and like you know, you're just like you see in the films. <laughs> and I'm good, yeah. And uh, and I was fully prepared to kind of watch the orchestra and Mickey lay the track down, and then I was going to go into the big room and um, and and sing my part as a, an overdub on top of it. And the conductor came in and he said. Uh, the orchestra were wondering if you would actually like to sing with us, right? And my heart was going... That's <laughs> <laughs> another ball game. <laughs> and he said, we'd really like if you sing. And John says, well, how would you feel about it? Right? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And it was, it was like, you know, yeah, I'm going to go right out of my comfort zone and go for this, right? And they just to add to the tension, he said, we've got enough money for about three takes. <laughs> We could only afford to have the orchestra and we could basically only get a kind of a, a rehearsal 
and basically two actual recording takes. That was all. And, uh, and I went, okay, just pile the pressure right on me, buds, right? And uh, we went we went out and I stood there in front of us and my knees were actually shaking. They were actually shaking. We're like, you know, these are like real musicians. Right? <laughs> and Mickey's looking at me with those rabbit eyes going like, che, che, che. <laughs> Uh, and um, and it started, and and we went for it, and it was the first time I'd ever sung with an orchestra. And if any of you have ever done it, you know exactly what I'm on about. Performing with an orchestra is just well, an orchestra behind you. It's just there's just you just get lifted on angel wings. It's just the 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 actual physicality of the sound is just incredible. And uh, I've only I've only had that experience one further time when I worked with a, uh, when I worked with an orchestra across it in East Germany and um, a few years ago, and it was uh, but it was fantastic, and we did it and there's you can hear it there's one point in the song right where my voice just breaks it just cracks a little bit and I I know where it is right <laughs> but there was no way you could change it and that was it and that is just pure and utter it's just a pure and utter natural expression this and this voice just the, the feeling and just being lifted and raised and just floating on top and singing with that it was just a huge high just a massive high so this is the John Kelly production from the Vigil album. And as I said, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> she just bursted. Yeah. So, let's find out what it is. No, we don't want that. Let's come out. Come out. Come out. Go back. Go back. Back! Oh, don't do this to me. This bloody thing. I'm going to have to take it out and put it back in again. Oh, I'm going to have to sort this out. Do you need a No, fine. But I'll put, the, I'll put the camera in the centre so that you can get the full power. We have a series of lights. Yeah. So let's put this in. Nope. Nope. Gypsy dancer to anyone who'll listen 
Is that a story you still tell? You live a life of fantasy Your diary, romantic fiction Can't you see it's hard for me? Can you see what I'm trying to say? It's a gentleman's excuse me So I'll take one step to the side Should be seamless. It, I just, it's rubbish. It's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, gentlemen, excuse me. I, I still love that song, and I still every time I hear it, I remember exactly, exactly what it was like standing in 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 that big room in Abbey Road singing that, and uh, it was just it was just such an amazing experience, incredible. John Kelly done a wonderful job. And the thing is, I'm, I'm, 
this is really strange, right? So on the same night that I'm talking to Mickey Simmons for two hours, then nine o'clock in the morning, Chris Kimsey phones me up, right? And I had a great talk with Chris. And, uh, and it was wonderful. Chris, Chris, Chris is like me. Chris went through shit in his life about 10, 10, 10 odd year ago, right? And he was, he was taking hits. He, he, was, he was in the corner taking hits, man. And I felt really sorry for him. And it was about the same time as we were trying to put the internal XL thing together, which is now coming together. And I'm glad because both with Mickey and with Chris and stuff, it's suddenly, you know, we're all in our el later years, elder statesmen of the world, and we can go like, bam, and like, hopefully this sells enough. And, you know, you know, the publishing and everything sorts itself out. And, you know, and it is, it is quite ironic that, you know, you know, that album, after that album, you know, when I went into that litigation with EMI, I mean, I, I nearly lost my house on that, you know. I mean, I really came close to losing... I mean, it cost... I mean, it really... It took us down, and it, it, it sent me on a... The, the beginning of a, a bit of a slippery road. And, um, and it's kind of strange that... Like I said, the circle of life... <laughs> It's like way back then, that album, you know, after that album, I nearly got taken out. And now I'm in the, you know, coming out the COVID thing and I've got no touring and all we rely on is mail order sales and, and product sales and stuff like that. And it's ironic that this album is going to be coming out at the, you know, at the end of this year and it's going to be keeping me alive again. It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a karmic spiritual thing in it all. It's like suddenly the album that, the aftermath of an album that took me down is now going to basically help me get through, you know, what is another kind of difficult time. And um, but I mean, with Chris, it was wonderful to talk with Chris, and he's he's been working on a project for years, and he's he's just about got it together, and it's brilliant. It's so exciting because when I did uh, the vocal for a lot of the the, the Vigil album after Townhouse, we moved to Olympic and we mixed the album in Olympic Studios. And at the time, there was a number of things happening in Olympic. And I remember... Um, <laughs> this is, I'm not name-dropping, right? This is a true story, right? There was, there was Youth from Killing Joke was working in a small mixing room upstairs, and Youth I knew from Killing Joke. And Killing Joke, Chris Kimsey had produced. And Youth is a brilliant geezer. Jazz, uh, jazz I mean, Jazz Coleman. It's, it's just that he's a... A great guy, I love jazz. He's a really interesting, very intimidating character, but he's a lovely, very highly, super intelligent bloke, right? And who's now just developed. He's got his own chili line. He does chili, chili sauces. <laughs> this is where we go. Jazz, jazz from Killing Joke does chilies, right? And I think it's called the Joker, the Joker chilies. And, uh, and I'm doing gardening. <laughs> How things change. I remember seeing Killing Joke when we were actually recording Misplaced and, and Killing Joke were playing the Metropole in Berlin. And I went along to see them and I, th I thought, I wonder what's, you know, and it was a brilliant gig. It was so intense. You know, that, blah, blah, you know, fantastic. I love that band. And we became, became, I became really good friends with Killing Joke. I mean, it's a really, you're probably thinking, you're just making this up, mate. Yeah, big friends with Spandau Bali. When we were in Hans's studios, I became mates with Depeche Mode. We were upstairs as well. He <laughs> we were rocking the mixing studio up there. And, and Killing Joke. And, and Killing Joke, actually, Chris Kimsey, it was one of the reasons we went to Hansa, 
because Chris Kimsey had produced the Killing Joke album, which was the the love like love like love like blood album, and um, they had a big party at the end of the their session when they finished the session, and they let off all these extinguishers, right? And the extinguishers were powder extinguishers, and nobody realised like you know really what was happening with these powder extinguishers. So the room was full of powder. And the powder went into the, the, the desk in the studio, the really old, it was, um, I think it was a Neve desk that was in that studio, I can't remember. I'm not, as you know, I'm not a tech man. <laughs> it's a desk, innit? But all the, the, the powder went into the desk and it was very corrosive, right? And it got into all the contacts of all the different failures. And as we were recording Misplaced Childhood, like, when you've got something like, you know, a 48-channel a, a, a desk, right? They're basically, it's all individual units. So, you know, it's a module that goes in. So there are 48 modules in that desk, or 30 modules, or 50-odd modules in that desk, right? In the frame, right? And they're all wired up. But every module has got exactly the same buttons on it, right? All for EQs and stuff, and all the, the buttons. And as we recorded Misplaced Childhood, these modules started going down one by one. <laughs> And it was a <laughs> oh, that one. number number three's number three's gone down, Captain. <laughs> and as Chris was working on it, this desk started to just break up. Right, and it was—I mean, the whole—it was fucked, right? And Chris is like, you know, it's like now put together Olympic because Olympic Studios, when the whole when the arse fell out of the studio industry in '91, just as it opened the Funny Farm Recording Studios, oh. <laughs> Just my luck. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, when I opened up the recording studio in 1991, the Funny Farm recording studios, uh, it, basically there was the recession and <laughs> my entire business plan went out the window. It was like this entire business plan for the studios disappeared overnight. And uh, and we had to drop our rates. Like, we'd, we'd, it all worked out. And it all worked out, right? Months and months of planning just went out the window. And uh, and Olympic was one of the studios that got taken out because you know it was the, the money just wasn't there, and um, and over the years Olympic kind of fell apart. But when I was in Olympic, like I said, youth was working in the mixing studios upstairs, right? I was with John Kelly, right? And Chris Kimsey was in the downstairs studio, which was a really big studio, right? And Chris was doing the Rolling Stones. And Chris said, come on down and meet the Stones. And I'm going, no. <laughs> and, I, and I went down, Mickey and I, well, I went down first. And it was like, and I walked into the studio and there was a massive Barney going on between Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Like a full kick-off argument going on. And Chris came and said, I fish, all right, mate? Right, yeah. And I'm going like, and I'm watching this, this band like, Fuck you and bad things flying about and stuff. It was mental, right? And it's like, I'll, I'll just go, no, they'll be all right in a minute, right? And so I got to meet all the guys, right? But I ended up going through to, there was a, a games room through the back and Mickey came down and we ended up playing uh, pool with Ronnie Wood and who was it? And Hurricane Higgins, who was kicking about with the stones at the time. And then Keith Richards, and I met up with Keith Richards, who was a brilliant bloke. And I ended up going out for a drink at the bar just down the road from the Olympic Studios where, where, um, where Ronnie Wood and Keith Richards, which was like, what, he's sitting there going like, I mean, you think I've got a story box? He's like, these guys had like a story warehouse, right? 
And we, I just sat and just listened to all this, and he was just such an amazing down-to-earth geezer. Right? And, and Ronnie Wood is, is a beautiful guy, absolutely beautiful guy, and I met him quite a few times. And uh, that's another story I'll tell you about Steve Vance's, but there's another thing. But yeah, but that was Olympic Studios. And it kind of all fell apart in 91, and over the years it was taken over. And I think, because it was originally a cinema, it was a cinema building. It's down in, in Barnes in, in London, in, in kind of kind of South London vibe. And uh, and the guy, this, uh, the guy that kind of bought it, if I've got this story correct, right, it was, uh, he decided to kind of keep the, the, he wanted to keep a part of the studio open, like kind of heritage, because this is, amazing. I mean, so many people recorded in Olympic studios. And Chris, for the last 10 years or so, seven years, 10 years, has been basically resurrecting uh, the, uh, the downstairs Olympic studio. And they've turned it into an analog studio. And he's picked up this old Neve desk, you know? I think this must be a karmic thing from the Killing Joke stuff in Hansa Studios in Berlin. And, and Chris got this, has got this naive desk. The frame, I can't remember the full story that he told me the other day because it was like, blah. <laughs> but I think the frame they found in Moscow and they found a part of the, the other modules and other stuff that belonged to some opera singer that lived in Tokyo and she had an old desk in her house that didn't get used. And he's put it all. And Rupert Neve, who designed the original desk, has sadly passed away a couple of years ago. And Chris has been rebuilding this massive Neve desk in Olympic Studios. And Pete Townsend's given them some uh, analog uh, recording equipment because so much of that equipment has just been lost. You know, it's like the helping still piano out in the garage. You know, people just forget about it and like, oh, you know, it's it's taking up too much space. Get rid of it, right? In the same way as you know, when I was looking at the masters or the old tapes or for vigil and stuff, you know, if I want to to get them baked, I can get them baked, but then I've got to find the machines that they were originally recorded on. And then put them on these machines, or find a company that can put them on the machines that they have to digitize all the stuff, you know? But these machines, I mean, even something like the Mitsubishi one-inch digital machine that I had here in the Funny Farm Recording Studios, right? It became, it, it became old hat by the time we got to 1998 because everybody was, was recording on hard disk and stuff like that. And, um, but Chris has resurrected, like, the, the, the original Olympic studio and they've, they've got a lot of funding from different people. And I just think that's so beautiful. And Chris Kimsey is one of the most beautiful guys. He's one of my dearest friends. And he's, when I, when I hear him talk about music, the passion that he has for all the, the old style recording and music and, and everything, he's, he's just such a wonderful guy. And, um, and he's, he's managed to get his, his his way through since, you know, he was in, you know, the land of heavy grey, grey-green doldrums. And he's come through and it's brilliant. And it was wonderful to talk to him. And I'm dying for him to come up because he was, as I said, the guinea pig in the Funny Farm Recording Studios when it opened in 1991. And he's never been here since it's been turned into this. <laughs> so he's going to be blown away. And like I said, Chris and his wife, Chrissy, are like, you know, the, the, some of my dearest, dearest friends. And... Chris really helped me through some some sometimes, you know. So it was uh, it's 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 been wonderful. But um, um, but yeah. So Chris Kimsey, Mickey Simmons, like in, in interview space up here is going to be great. It's going to be really great. I've, I've just I've got a load of things to do here. Um, uh, 
My husband, his name is Frank, is one of your greatest fans you have in Germany. Since his 80th, he is listening to the music you're writing and is trying to see you at concert as often as he can. When we were in Scotland in 2014 with our family, camping tour with a tent, it was very humid. <laughs> humid. <laughs> it sounded like a German word for pissing down. Uh, uh, we visited Hannington and wrote a little letter to you. He felt so happy. After that experience, he had a better impression of the way you're living and he started to follow you on Facebook. Da -da -da. Uh, he works in the garden too, found similarities, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, during the years, Frank's collected CDs, DVDs, ah, and his arm, he has a, he's got a fish tattoo in his arm. And on Fridays, he has no time for his family, it is fish time. So, like, my request. On Friday 19th, today, right, it's his 50th birthday, and it would be an honour for him. He does not know that I'm writing to you. If you could send him a little message. A call would give him a heart attack. A wonderful death for him, but not good for me and our children. Anyway, it would make so best ever, Frank. So, Frank Rabbit, very happy birthday, mate. Well, grusa, 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 right? And that's from your wife, Karen, who sent an email across this, Simona, from Bad Kreuznach, dear Mainz, right? So, happy birthday, right? And there was Greg Haler said... Could you please wish my granddaughter Isla Spence a happy fourth birthday? We haven't seen her for 18 months because of COVID and my son being in the army. Thanks, Greg and Pam. So happy birthday, Isla. Right. It's getting like radio too, this, isn't it? Uh, and uh did it was another one? Tosh. Tosh. Um Tosh, happy birthday to your laddie. That's tech, right? I actually, I, I copied all this stuff across the document, right? Then I printed it off, right? And it was blank. <laughs> it's the, it, it, <laughs> so, Toshi's laddie, it's your 24th birthday, I seem to remember, right? My old age has managed to get recorded, it says 24. So, happy birthday, Toshi's laddie, right? I think it's Stuart, right? Um, uh, da da da. Alan Copleson, it's my baby boy Mark's 18th birthday today. Please, could you give him a shout-out? It would make mine and his mum Evelyn's a fish day, right? a fish convert day. So happy birthday. Right? Happy birthday, Mark. Right? And then Barry, Barry Capper. Hello, the Capper family. Right? Any chance you could wish my Mrs. Deneen a happy 30th wedding anniversary for the 16th of March? Right? So happy wedding. So, Capitals, I'll see you in November, I hope. Phil right. uh, Atwell, Fishing Simona, can I get a birthday mention, please? 55 next Wednesday, been a fan since seeing you at Will Liverpool Warehouse in 82. First vaccine tomorrow. Good on you, mate. So you'll be with, with Simona with your first vaccine. Um, right. Yeah, the weird thing I wanted to tell you about that, I forgot was about when I was looking at the, um, when I was looking at the, uh, um, the information on, when I was checking out the thing on Julian Doyle, right? <laughs> right? It had, right, in this wee thing, oh, Michael Hardy, it's your 51st birthday, hello, happy birthday, right? And, um, one of the things I found, and this is unbelievable, it's like, right, 
one of the nights, one of the kind of like, you know, the, the kind of, uh, um, what do you call it, the extras that played a night, right? And it's credited, it's, I found this on the IMDb site, which is quite interesting. Ian Banks, <laughs> Ian Banks, the writer, was actually a knight. He was an extra on Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and I never knew that. And he never told me that when I met him. No, he kept very quiet about that. I would have been, I'll be, Ian Banks, I was in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, mate. Oh, love that movie. Always takes me back to Creef uh, Hydro when, when, I, when, I, when it first came out. Michael Forshaw, happy birthday, everyone. Simon Farquhar, Gus Honeybun's birthday spot is alive and well. Francis Bishop, big hello to all you truckers out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But yes, it's like really just oh, birthdays and everything else and stuff. It's, and I've got a load. It's like I've got my my nephew, my niece, um, Ellie and James. Their their birthdays are coming up. This it's, we've got a whole plethora of them coming at us this this month. So, and my sister, my sister turned sixty. Laura turned sixty on April the fourteenth. And it's like, I mean, it's like wow. I'm sixty three. Yeah. Anyway, a couple of wee questions here. Darren Wells, a question: Why was there no promotional video for Punch and Judy? I've got no idea. I, I think probably with the screw-up on the whole Fagazi mixing process and everything else, we couldn't even find any time to put together a, a Punch and Judy promotional video. And to be honest, I'm glad we didn't. I think the subject matter, we could have been looking back and going, ooh. Uh. Leone Ham Hamera Sharp. This is good. All right. But we talked, this is from last week when we were talking about the doors in, in my mum's bathroom. Well, the bathroom extension is really coming on, but my mum's not allowed to go through there because it's like she's going to cut the ribbon when we actually get the Disco Bog 2, although it won't really be Disco Bog 2, right? It's, uh, it's uh, she's going to cut the ribbon, but she's not allowed to go through there, right? For a number of reasons. <laughs> Don't go near the machinery, mum! <laughs> but it's... Uh, but yeah, so we've been getting all that together. And, and I'd mentioned last week about how we'd had be taking the door off, right? Because we were worried that if my mum had taken a, a fall in the toilet, we couldn't get the door open, right? And so it's only been put on since the workmen put with our time bandits. Hi, Eliza. Morning. <laughs> oh, hiya. Got a lippy on. Says, doors that mean you can't get someone out. I had the same issue, so we took the door off. Cavity slider, a cavity slider is the answer. That and the emergency alarm. She's got an emergency alarm, right? And it's um, Martin from Music. Will you piss off, mate, and stop sending me messages in the middle of this? Because you know I'm on here, right? Um, it's, it's on about emergency alarm. She's got one on her wrist, right? <laughs> Which is a worry. Because she's got a little, it's a, we've got an emergency alarm, so if she presses, presses the button. She had it when she was in North Berwick, but she's got one, we've got it up here as well. If she goes to the garden or anything, if she falls, she's got an emergency button, phones the paramedic straight away. It's brilliant, right? But the problem is, <laughs> there's been a couple of times when mum, because she keeps up, she wants to help out in, in the house and stuff, and she's great with it. And she's packs the CDs, and individual CDs and stuff, and every now and again, right, 
she puts a bracelet on and she'll be packaging up a deluxe and folding the, the cardboard over, right? And then suddenly it comes out, do do do. Hello, this is right, Mag Many Paramedics, can we help you please? And it's do 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 do. And mum's been putting the packaging together and inadvertently pressed the button on the emergency alarm. <laughs> oh, the things that happen here. But, um, but yeah, so. I said, uh, the doors, right? They came to me. The paramedics, because I couldn't get to the door, they just kicked it in, said, getting to you after the stroke is more important. We get in regardless. But honestly, a door that pushes back into the wall is great, right? Yes, yeah, great. If you've built a wall, it's got a cavity thing, but we find another way around it. But it reminded me, <laughs> this is a true story, and I'm partially ashamed of talking about this, right? Because my daughter reminded me about this recently, right? And uh, I was, um, <laughs> do we all smell of elderberries? Yeah. <laughs> I was in this bar, we'd be, we had a day off in Barcelona, Barcelona, right? <laughs> we'd gone out and we'd had a great night and Tara had been with us in Yatta and we'd have been out for a meal and we met up with a band and we were down the, what's it call it? We were down the, the really famous place, street whose name escapes me now right and it escaped me then for a start i was steaming right anyway we're out there and we're drinking with the guys and this wee bar and we're having a great time and i was desperate to go to the toilet desperate right and uh, and i thought well, here we go so i went through you'll be old man stuff right went through the, the the toilet right and uh i went to open the door and it didn't open right so it was like i knocked on the door and there was no answer i thought oh it must be somebody in so i came back out and I waited for about four minutes and I went back to the door and I went bump, bump, bump the door. <laughs> no answer. I'm going, shit. You know, I was getting to that point where it's, oh no, this is getting really close. And and the only only other toilet was downstairs, right? And it was a women's toilet. And it was like, I'm, I'm not going in there because the place was crowded with like, you know, flamenco dancers. Well, literally, it was a flamenco dancing school or something going on in there. I'm steaming, flamenco dancers down the stairs, and I go up to the door, doof, 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 at the door, and I'm going, oh, no, 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 right? And I came outside, and I went, I couldn't hold it in anymore. I had, it was like, you know, it was nuts, right? And I, I went, I, I can't, and I, had, I, I kind of slipped around the side of this bar, and they had these big potted plants, and it was like, I couldn't. I just, I just, I just couldn't hold anyone. And I just let go inside the pot of plants. And it was one of those ones where, like, once it started, you can't stop it. And I'm just standing there going, like, oh. And the next thing, I've got two bouncers going, like, that's disgusting. I said, look, I'm really, really sorry. I'm saying, I'm really, really sorry. He said, but I've been trying to get in the toilet for ages. And I'm standing there, going like, you know, and he says, look, you this was just ridiculous. Says, you're an ab disgusting man. I said, really? I said, I'm trying to go to your toilet, right? And I came through and I said, look, I was trying to get the toilet. And the guy went, it was a sliding door. And I'm trying to push it at the gents' toilet. It's a slider door. There was nobody in it. I didn't realise this. And I was so embarrassed. I'm going, really sorry, guys. I'm really sorry. And it was, it was, there was a river flowing down into the garden of the street for this potted plant. Couldn't even hold that much liquid. I was so embarrassed. And my daughter was like, Dad! Dad! <laughs> anyway, we're coming to the end. It was 5-2. What will I finish on tonight? How can I finish on tonight? Uh, 
Don't want to do disco bog tonight. Not in the mood for disco bog. Um, let's get a Wiltschmerz thing going. That's fine. I quite fancy this. Gonna have to set this up. <laughs> he says, Darling, where have you hit all the albums? We cleaned up all the albums. Um, Oh, let's pick something at random. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I don't know if this is scratched. Oh, somebody asked about this. Or oh, should I keep that for another one? Uh, I kind of lost now. I hadn't prepped this. Don't want to say goodnight yet. But yeah, so like this weekend, it's going to be Simona getting her, um, Simona getting her vaccinated. Hibs Livingston. And somebody was asking, is there any rivalry? No, not really. Livingston's a kind of weird team. I remember Livingston when they were, um, I remember Livingston when, they first started off. And they're a decent team now, you know? Shame about Rangers last night. I don't, that's a sincere shame. I was really hoping, I didn't see the game, uh, I didn't see the game last night, but I was hoping they would have got through and it would have been, you know, one of those. I like when they get those, those, those big games between like the top English teams and Rangers have been doing great. And I really like Steven Gerrard. I mean, I know I'm a hippie and all the rest of it, but like, I admire the man. He's a, he's a great manager. What's this, sir? Let's end with this. Oh, no. Four. Something to be better. Have a great weekend, everyone.
Another vision Friday flies into the past. Um, Doris Brendel, be thinking about you tomorrow. Um, get well soon, love. Um, I'll give you a phone next week. Um, everybody else out there, take care and stay alive. And remember, we're all getting vaccinated, but you know we all still got to look after ourselves. Be careful, that includes you. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. Going to the pyramids tomorrow. I know. <laughs> pyramids, yes. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So, uh, oh, so we'll see you all next week. Uh, we're approaching anniversary, so we're going to have to think of something special to do on the anniversary edition, our first anniversary together. It's going to be cool. Um, it's carrying on. It's, uh, as I said, it's not over yet. <clears throat> I'll have more news for you next week, and you know, hopefully a lot more good news and stuff. I hope you enjoyed it tonight. So until then, until next week, like I said... Hands clean, masks on, keep your distance um, and look after each other and look after yourselves. Um, take care, stay alive. Good, Good night. night. Good night. Hey. <laughs>